0: Welcome, Capital Vineyard, to year two of Capitol Vineyard, all right? Can we, can we give an applause for that? Officially, this is the first Sunday of year two uh, for us as a church, and uh, this past year has been great. It's been incredible. I see a lot of faces that I didn't see on the first Sunday uh, of last year, so that's a good thing, right? Uh, that means new people have come in, and, and it's an exciting time to be a part of of. This church and a part of what God's doing in this community. Um, before we jump into this new series and this this message this morning, uh, I want to show you this. All right, this right here. If uh, if you there was there was a meeting that happened before the first Sunday of this church, um, and uh, and we were kind of gathering people and getting excited about what God we felt like God was going to be doing uh, in that in that meeting um, in in this church, and uh, at the Kind of the sentiment at that point was unleashed, all right? Frankfurt, this had been a campus, a church campus, and it was like, you know, this church is going to be unleashed into this community in a really cool way to see what, you know, God's going to do incredible things through this church. And I, I took out this, this dog leash, and I, and I cut it, right, in that meeting, and I said, all right, this is us being unleashed, okay um and my point was a, a couple of things like when you think about a dog leash a dog leash does a couple of things uh number one it holds the dog back right and so it, it makes sure it's it's maintained uh, and so it doesn't hurt other people and that kind of thing well listen we've been unleashed so now we can hurt people I'm sorry uh that didn't mean to come out no we've we've been unleashed with the idea of there is there's there's nothing holding us back okay there's nothing holding us back to be in this community what we choose to be as a family. Uh, the second thing I said about a leash is the leash, leash also holds the dog back in, in kind of a protective manner, okay? It protects the dog because if the dog wants to run out into the road, that leash is going to protect the dog. It's going to hold it back. Well, guess what? There's nobody protecting us. At this point, there's no, but there's no other church that we're attached to other than the Vineyard National Conference kind of a thing. But there, there's nobody that's going to come in and they're, they're going to rescue us. There's nobody that's going to come in and save us. That means it's us, right? And it's us as a family. It's us as a body. And what happens with this church going forward is up to us. I mean, it's up to God, but it's up to us to follow what God is, is leading us into. And so I say that because this whole idea of... of this this family reunion, this church retreat that we're going to be doing in a couple of weeks. Man, I think it's going to be significant for us as a body. It's going to be significant for us as as a family, for us to see ourselves as a family, for us to be involved in each other's life. I believe God's going to do some great teaching there. Some incredible things are going to happen. Uh, I just believe that because of what I feel like God is doing with that. And so I say that, that l- listen, it's up to us, right? It's up to us. It's up to, to each of us individually What is going to happen with this church? So get involved. Be a part of it. Find your place. Invite people over that you've never had uh, over to your house before. Uh, Get get set as a family. Be a part of this family. I said it before. We're only going to be a part of the church or a part of the family as much as we want to be, as much as we allow ourselves to be. So we're unleashed. This thing is up to us. And, and, and I think God's going to do amazing things, and I, I, I want you along for the ride, and I want you to experience what God has been doing in my life personally. We're going to get into some of that this morning, uh, because I'm excited about what this whole series is going to be. This series, we're calling it Back to School. Obviously, it's, it's that time of year, right? We're going, all oh, the kids, the students are, are back in school. I think everybody in this area has, has started back, unless uh, you're homeschooled. I don't know about the private schools, but um, it's back to school time, right? Well, guess what? As a church, it's back-to-school time for us, too. We're going to do some, uh, some learning the next couple of weeks. It's a three-week series. We're going to do some deep theological thinking. Uh, that's not necessarily how I normally operate on a Sunday morning, but we're going to do some theological thinking. We're going to ask God some questions, and I think in this time, we're going to ask God to help us grasp some things, maybe that we've missed before or that we've not quite understood before or we've not grasped before. Uh, and so we're going to be doing that. And as I was thinking about this whole back-to-school thing, there's, there's a, a couple of things. So number one, at the end of last year when our kids left school, they sent them home with a bunch of reading and a bunch of works and uh, worksheets and things like that. Because statistics show that when kids get back in school after a summer, they got to relearn a bunch of stuff, right? They've got to, they, they've lost over the last, the, the two months of summer, we lose stuff. And, and so when they get back in class, the first couple of weeks, first month is like, hey, we got to reteach some of the stuff that they lost from the last year. So maybe in this series, we're going to do some relearning of things that we once knew or we once believed uh, in that way. The other thing that I was thinking about with, with back to school is the idea of learning. It's, it's really interesting. When we go into school, in any situation, we're going to learn about a subject of any kind. We've probably got some understanding, some type of belief about how that's going to work or or that kind of a thing. And in order to learn the truth or to learn the real thing, the real way things work, we've got to kind of first unlearn what we did before so that we can learn the new thing for real, right? So think about it this way in terms of of like language and grammar, all right? If you want to learn to talk good, all right? That's right, you caught it. If you want to learn to talk good, your teacher is probably going to correct you and say, well, actually, if you're going to say that statement, you just say, if you want to learn to talk well, right? But in order to make that a part of your vocabulary, you've got to first unlearn the whole idea of talking good. And I used to use good in that sense all the time. Now I say well, but it took me a while to unlearn good and learn well, okay? Or if you're going to, if your child is learning to, uh, to, to draw some things and you want to learn to to draw the human form, well, you got to first unlearn the idea that a human, that a person is a circle with the vertical stick coming out of the bottom of it <laughs> and four diagonal lines coming off the vertical stick, right? you got to un- unlearn that idea in order to learn the new thing. And so there's going to be some of that that's going to happen in the next three weeks. So some of it's going to be a little bit challenging, I believe. Um, I believe that, I, and, I, and I know that because it's been challenging for me. I've been challenged in my thinking. I've had to unlearn things in order to learn what I believe is the truth uh, about who we are in Christ and, and what he says about us and, and all of this stuff, all right? So, uh, so there's gonna be a little bit of that. So if you're challenged in, the nec- in this series, I just wanna encourage you, hold on, all right? Hold on, because the truth that I believe is the truth is incredible, all right? And if you think Pastor Justin is getting he's fuzzing on the edge of uh, heretical all right because we might get there um well just hold on all right hold on and also don't miss this series because i believe it is foundational for not only us individually but i believe it's foundational for us as a church and where we're headed and what god is going to do through this body and through the people that are added to this body all right I really believe that. So don't miss it. So there's all kinds of ways. If you've got to work, I get it. If, if you've got vacations planned or something, I get it. But there's all kinds of ways to listen in between. So Facebook, we got messages up on Facebook. we got a YouTube channel. We've got a website that's got messages on there. All those are through YouTube. Um, but then we also have a podcast that you can listen. Catch up during the week if you miss it, all right? Um, because it, it, I'm, each week is going to build off what the previous week, what we talked about. And I'm going to allude a little bit to that this week. Um, but don't miss it, all right, because I believe God's going to do some incredible things, and I believe that God wants to teach us some incredible things as a a church. So this morning, uh, in order to go back to school, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to start there with our scripture, all right? So God, 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 does creation okay and he says you know let there be light and there was light he says let there be plants and there's plants he says let there be uh waters that cover the earth and all that stuff that's not the right order but he says all these things all right and and they're all good and it's all created just by a spoken word and then in genesis 1 he says this verse 26 says then god said let us make mankind in our image in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God does all of creation. He creates everything. He creates all the, the actual form and then he creates the creatures and he cre- then he creates people, all right? And the difference, the difference between all of the rest of creation and how he creates people is what? It says he created people in his image, in his likeness. And I love in Genesis 2 if you if you, you get the little bit more focused version of how this happens. In Genesis 2, it says um, that, that God took the dust of the earth and he formed man. I don't know how you do that other than with hands or, or something like that. But it says, he took the dust of the earth and physically touched and formed man. And then he breathed his life into man. That's different than all of the rest of creation, isn't it? Completely different. For, for, and it's really incredible when you think about it. A God who has the capability to speak creation into existence. He just spoke it and it's there. He has that power. And yet when it came to people... They were special enough. We are special enough to him that he stopped doing everything that way and he formed us personally, individually, and he breathed his life into us. That gives me chills to think about how how powerful that God is who can just speak life into existence, and yet he didn't do that. He spoke it for everything else and then for us, for people, He did something different because there's something significant. There's something special about that. It's really incredible. Humans were formed by his hands, found life by his breath in that way. So God speaks the universe into existence. He speaks life into existence, um, but not with people. With people, he took the special care. He took the the time in order to to make people. And he creates them male and female. And it's really interesting to, to think about, when god is creating when he's speaking things into existence he cr- he creates the sky and 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 the 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 earth and he says man that's good and he creates all the animals and he says man that's good and he creates all this stuff but when he creates man there's only one thing that god created that he said wasn't good and that was for that man to be alone for that's not good he said that's not good for man to be alone and so he creates another human he creates a woman and they're together man Community, marriage, fellowship, people together. We are not meant to live alone, right? We are not meant to live alone. So God creates people in that way. And then it's good. then it's good. And when we look at uh, verse 26 specifically, and we're talking about how God made man, it says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image and filling them with the breath of life. He filled them. He filled us physically. That right there, that God created us in his image, that God created us in his likeness, that is the key for us to understand who we are. That is, that is so key, it's so central for this whole thing, that God created people this way originally before sin entered the world, before it changed things. We were designed in the likeness of God. And when you look at the words that are used there, it says in the image of God and in the likeness of God. And those are, those are two different Hebrew words. They, they generally mean kind of the same thing. Uh, but, but there is a, a little bit of a distinction in that one of them leans a little more towards like a, a physical likeness, and one of them is more like a representation kind of a thing. But when you put those things together, when, when you say that, okay, God created people in his image, God created people in his likeness, we're going to call that in the nature of God, right? God, people were created in his, in, in his nature, just like we were given a nature of the, the same nature that God had in that way, all right? So we were given a nature. God created people, humans, in his image. Right? We, you and I, Adam and Eve, were created in his image. Let me change that. Adam and Eve were created in his image. God took special care to create people with, with a nature that was like his. Adam was infused with the breath of God he was free from sin. Actually, they were free from knowing sin, free from the knowledge of sin. That's what the, the whole thing, when you look at the fall that we're going to look at in a minute, it was the, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't even have a concept that there was another option. Like, they were created 100% pure in relationship with God. All Adam and Eve knew was relationship with God. That's all they knew. They knew nothing else because that Was the whole purpose of creation. The whole purpose of creation. The whole purpose of God creating people. Was that so they could know him. Relationship with him. That was the whole purpose. Why why else would a God who can see. Who knows every single thing that's going to happen. And he knows the way this is going to go when he creates people. He knows that. Why else would he then still create? Because he loved what he created. He knew What was going to happen, and yet he created still. He loves us individually as we are created. He wanted us to be with him. He wanted to be with us, to walk with them, to to talk with them, to have a friendship, to have a relationship with them. That's what the whole point of this creation was for. So the purpose of, of people was relationship with the creator. That was their purpose And he made us for that relationship in a nature that was like his. It was a nature that provided all we needed to rule over creation. Because when you look at it, that's kind of, I believe that's the second reason, -reason sub-reason for creating people. Was to rule over the earth, was to manage, to handle, was to take care of dominion over the earth in that way. In that nature that God made us in. But we know what happens next, don't we? We know that it didn't stay that way. And I don't know how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before chapter 3 happens. But sin enters the picture. And the serpent comes to the woman. God had told uh, Adam and Eve and he said, listen, this whole garden is for you. This whole thing is for you. But there's one tree. One tree. Don't eat from that one. Everything else, you, everything else is good to eat. You can have everything. And the serpent comes to the woman and says, did God really say that you can't eat anything from this this garden? And she says, well, actually, God said that we can eat everything in this garden except one. Or if we we eat it, we'll die. And he said, well, surely you won't die. Surely you're not going to die if you eat it, right? And in verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here, she gave me some of that fruit, and I, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, well, the, the serpent, he deceived me. God put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, listen, you can have all of this except that one tree. And my question is always, then why, God? Why is the tree there? Why did you even put it there? And it all comes back to me, they had to have the choice or it's not love. It's not a relationship if you don't have a choice. That's what it all comes back to me. We're not getting into that today. But that's, for me, that's what it comes back to. If they don't have the choice, then it's not love. If they don't have the choice, then it's not real relationship. So God gave him the choice to listen or to not, to obey or to not, to follow him or not. And the serpent convinced Eve. And when you think about it, it's really kind of crazy what she conv- or what he, the serpent uses to convince Eve. He says, if you eat it, you'll be like God. They were already like God. They were already made in the nature of God. They were already made in his image. They were already made in his likeness. How often are we tempted with things that God's already said are yours? And yet we twist them because we think we can gain a little bit more. Or we think maybe God's hiding something from us. Or maybe God, God just doesn't want me to have that or whatever, right? And, and, and so the serpent convinces, convinces Eve, well, he, they, God doesn't want you to be like him. But they were already like him with the exception of the knowledge of good and evil. And so she ate, and she gave some to Adam, who was, I believe, standing right there next to him. Didn't stop her, right? So the blame doesn't work there. But he ate it. And in that moment, and in that moment that they ate, in that moment that they disobeyed God, their nature was changed. Their nature was changed. That is the moment that their nature and our nature Everybody that came after them changed. They went from having the nature that God had given them, from the likeness of God, of him, the likeness that is purity, that is wholeness, that is contentment in everything, that is 100% pure relationship with God. That nature was changed, and they changed it, they exchanged it for a sin nature. They went from the likeness of God. They went from the nature of God to a sin nature. Sin changed our nature. Sin changed our nature. That's point number two. Sin changed our nature. And the first way that sin expresses itself, it's really, again, really interesting. It's really telling. The first way that sin expresses itself is shame. They saw that they were naked, and they covered themselves up because they were afraid, because they were ashamed, I should say. Sin revealed itself in shame. They heard, and then they heard God walking in the, dar- in, in the garden, and they hid. Why? Because they were afraid. Fear. Shame and fear. And then when God says, did you eat this fruit? Adam says, I didn't do it. It's her. Well, I did it, but it was because of her, so she gets the blame, Right? And she says, Well, I did, oh, I did it, but only because the serpent you made God. He he got me, right? It's it's and we blame fear, shame, and blame. Fear, shame, and blame. That's the way sin has revealed itself. They didn't know any of those things before. They knew none of that. They knew no fake, no fear, they knew no shame, they knew no blame, but now their nature had changed. Now They had a sin nature, and all of those things came crashing in. All of those things. No longer was it a nature in the likeness of God. Now it's a sin nature, and that sin nature is what causes the separation between us and God. It's what causes the distance between us and God. And it makes all the sense in the world when you think about that. Fear. Shame and blame. How can you have a relationship with, with anything, let alone an all-knowing God, when you're ashamed? You don't want him to see you, right? Because, because you're naked. You're afraid of what you did. Or you're afraid of how he's going to react. You can't have a relationship in that way. Have you ever had to have or tried to have a relationship with somebody that you have sinned against? Man, it eats at you. It eats at you. It eats at you because I don't want them to find out. I don't want them to know. what, And it, it just piles on. It piles on, doesn't it? There was a a uh, time when we lived at, at camp, at summer camp, and um, it kind of, this, this, this happened every once in a while. There were some neighborhood boys uh, that would show up at camp every once in a while, whether it was because we picked them up for a church activity or, or whether they just kind of came to help out. Every once in a while, they'd have jobs that we would do that we would pay them for and that kind of a thing. Um, but, but these boys were also pretty mischievous, um, and things would go missing from camp, um, things like the golf cart. Uh, would just, right, uh, would just go missing. And, uh, or things like the church van. Um, that's right. At one point, the church van ended up eight to 10 miles away from church, ran out of gas in the middle of the road, and they just left it there, right? Um, but you always knew who was involved. Or you could kind of tell. You didn't always know for sure. But you could kind of tell who was invo- involved because when you said hi to them, Nope, not making eye contact, right? There's a distancing of the relationship. You try to have a conversation, nope, they're getting out of there as fast as they can, or they stopped coming around, they're afraid, they're hiding, right? You can't have a relationship when there is shame and fear and, and blame involved. It can't happen. I mean, you can have, like, a super distant relationship where you're an acquaintance or whatever, but you can't have a close relationship, and that's what sin does, Sin pushes the distance. Sin, the sin nature pushed the distance between God and people. Because when Adam and Eve made that choice, they experienced those things for the very first time because their nature had changed. And from that point on, every descendant on down, and that's every single one of us, has that sin nature. That's the nature that we inherit. Instead of the nature of God, instead of the nature of the likeness of God we inherit that sin nature. Romans 3:23 says for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And all for all have sinned, nobody is excluded, every single one of us. And it's not it's it's not all all have sinned just because eventually we all do something bad, right? No, all have sinned because it's our nature. It's born into you. There is nothing you can do to avoid it as a person. It is born into you. You are born with it. It is your nature, a sin nature. And because of that sin nature that we're born with, we're all experiencing that distance, all experiencing that separation from a God who loves us, from a God who wants relationship with us, from a God who has never stopped pursuing us, never stopped wooing us. And yet we have that distance. We have that separation because of our sin nature here's my point though it is not your individual sins that cause distance between you and god it is the reality of the sin nature that you were born with it is the fact that when adam and eve took the fruit and they ate of it the nature and the likeness of God that they were created with was twisted, was warped, was manipulated, was metaf- I don't even know what that word is metamorphosized, I don't know was changed into something different. And then that applied to all of humanity down. From then on. You and me, everybody included, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the old fallback of that idea. In, in, in any religion that says, well, I'll do more good than, than the bad that I do. Or even, well, I'll just, if I do, I'll just stop sinning. I'll just stop sinning. And then I'll be close to God. I'll just stop doing this, and then there won't be anything between me and God. That doesn't cut it. Because that doesn't address the issue. The issue is not the individual sins. The issue is the sin nature. And until the sin nature is is adjusted is fixed is is uh repaired whatever until the sin nature is addressed then it's not then it's not done right it's not done if you're involved in sin and you have a choice sure walk away from it i'm saying all right i'm not saying continue on in the sin i'm just saying that stopping your favorite sin does not get you any closer to god stopping that behavior does not close the gap it won't solve the problem. Behaving in a more Christian manner does not get you closer to God. I was talking to a, a friend the other day, and we were just talking about this idea that when people find out we're Christians, or people find out, especially for me, that I'm a pastor, you see a little whoop switch in their behavior, right? It changes just a little bit. Um, and we were, we were talking about this idea that, like, it really drives me crazy, personally, um, and I wrote this on Thursday, okay? I wrote this on Thursday. That idea, I wrote that down. Friday morning, I went to the job site, and the first guy that walks on the job says, uh, Hey, uh, heard you're a pastor. Um, I've been trying to do that stuff. I'm like, what stuff? Are you... Are you, you going to try and become a pastor? It's like, no, 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 like like the church stuff. Like, you know, I was like, oh, okay, all right. Uh, he said, but, I, you know, like I was a wild child at one point. I was like, well, listen, we all come from someplace. So I get it. I have my past too. Um, and the second guy walks on the job and says, oh, hey, man, uh, uh, somebody told me that you're a preacher. And listen, yesterday, if uh, if I said anything or I <laughs> did anything, like, <laughs> I'm just like, I just wrote this last night. Like, it drives me nuts because you changing your behavior, you stopping your vulgar joking or whatever, you see it all the time like, hey, man, this is a preacher. Stop it. It's like, listen, you stopping that doesn't solve the issue. It doesn't change the fact that you still have a sin nature. It doesn't solve it. So stopping the individual sin issues is not what's going to make things better because sinning is not the issue sin nature is the issue sin nature is what causes the distance and the separation from god sin nature is what keeps us from having the close relationship with our father god sin sin nature it, that's it and can you see the difference even if you're 100 percent, i'm done sinning I'm, I'm i'm just stopping i'm done you never, you never got uh, cross with another person. You never got frustrated. You never spoke ill will towards anybody. Never treated anybody kindly. You never lost your temper. You lived the Ten Commandments to a T. Doesn't matter if the sin nature is not addressed. It doesn't matter because the problem is not the sins. The problem is the sin nature. What's amazing, though, is God has continued to pursue us. God didn't give up on us. He didn't cut ties with At the point that Adam and Eve sinned, he did not cut ties and run. He didn't stand back and say, well, you're going to have to figure this one out yourself. I want to see this, right? No, he continued to interact with them. He continued, and listen, we're going to get into this next week, I think. Uh, he continued to have a relationship with them in their sin nature. Think about that, right? Next week. All right, but God didn't give up on us. God didn't give up on us. So what are we supposed to do then? Right? If I can't fix it, if stopping the sin doesn't fix it, how can I restore a relationship with God? Or, if, or if, if it doesn't improve my standing with him, what am I supposed to do? What, what should I, how about this? Start over. How about we start over? How about we get reborn? How about we become a new creation? Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter the second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit... Gives birth to spirit. You must be born again. That's the only fix. That is the only solution. That is the only thing that will repair your relationship with God. Jesus says, and and God says, you have to be born again. And you get to be born again. You get to. And being born of the spirit means a new spirit being born of the spirit is a new nature the old has gone the new has come second corinthians five seventeen. therefore if anyone was in christ the new creation has come the old is gone and the new is here in christ in jesus we get a new nature actually i like to think of it as a restored nature rebirth brings a new nature restored back to how God originally created us. And that's really incredible when you think about it. Really incredible. It means that you're reborn. It means that your sin nature is gone. It's done. It's gone. How do you know if you're reborn then? How do you know, well, how do I know if I got this? How do I know if I'm in? How do I know if I'm out? Listen, right here, Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth... Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Rebirth equals salvation. Rebirth equals salvation. Being born again means what Jesus says right there. Inheriting the kingdom of God because you have a new nature. Because the gap is gone. And now you can be in relationship with him again, right? Amen. You are a new creation in Christ. It's not a sin nature anymore, it's gone. That means this talk, this attitude that drives me, again, as I've grasped this, drives me crazy. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No, you're not. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. No. There was a song. <laughs> 1,500 pastor, past, pastors and leaders within the church at a, a vineyard conference a month ago, two months ago, June, in June, whenever it was. I don't know. Singing a song. I love the song. But the third line of the song says, I'm, just, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I'm like, no. Pastors, leaders within our church, no. Your nature has changed. You are not that anymore. You are not a sinner saved by grace because the nature of the sinner is gone. It's not there anymore. If we agree that we're new Christian that we're new creations in Christ, you cannot be a new creation with the old hanging around. It's new. Every part of it is new. In Christ, we're not sinners saved by grace. We were sinners who have been saved and who have been set free from that nature, from that old nature. We've been restored. We sing the song Free, Free, Forever I'm Free. Death was arrested, and my life began. We're free. Think of it, in the, it's, it's, it's the same thing as singing the songs like my chains are gone, my chains have been broken, this, the, the, the nature of my sin has been broken. And, and so we have chains around our, our wrists and they're broken, but we're still holding them. We hold it together. It's the same thing when we say, when we, when we put our identity as a sinner. When we say, I'm just a sinner. No, you're not. You're free from that. You are free. You are made new in that. You've not just forgiven, you're set free. In fact, in Christ, you are dead to sin. Paul in Romans says this, "What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that may, grace may increase by no means. We are of those who were baptized, excuse me, we are those who have died to sin." How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried through, with him through baptism in, into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. That's what baptism is. Baptism is showing you, listen, you go under, you're standing, and you're one person. You go under, and you come up, and you're new, right? You died physically Spiritually, you died with Christ. When Jesus died, your sins died with him. You are free from them. They're gone. That nature is gone. You have a new nature. We have died to sin, and that means it no longer lives within us. The identity that we put on ourselves as sinners is not in agreement with what God says about us. It's not in agreement with what God says our identity is. Now I get the idea that it feels like, well, sin certainly feels alive and kicking in me today, right? We, we get to that point, right? But that's not what we're struggling with. Next week, we're going to talk about that, right? Next week, why do we still struggle? I've been reading this book, and I can't recommend it enough. I've got eight copies on the way right now from Amazon um, because I believe in it that much. It's by a pastor in the Vineyard Movement. Um, his name is Putty Putman. I didn't make that up his real name um and i love the way he says this grab a hold of this if we see ourselves through sin that means we have faith in the idea of our sinfulness that faith not only stands in contradiction to the gospel but also gets lived out in our actions No wonder so many of us struggle to break free from the feeling that we wrestle and we struggle with sin. To do anything else is to lose track of who we think we are. And he goes on to explain that it's an identity crisis. When when people hear a teaching that says you are not a sinner saved by grace, it's an identity crisis. Because that's how I've always seen myself. I don't understand how to view myself as not a sinner. But man, that's not how God sees you. You have been set free from sin. The sin he knows that when Jesus died our sin was dealt with he knows that it's gone and now in Christ we have a new nature we have a new nature and that's how he sees us because that's how we really are we're free from sin we're dead to it it's gone not not mostly gone not mostly dead but all the way dead and all the way gone it's gone God says we're free from sin and when you call yourself a sinner, you're disagreeing with God. What if instead of trusting how you feel about yourself, or what if instead of trusting what, what you think you are or how you feel about yourself, you trusted what God says you are? When you surrender your life to God, when you surrender your life to Jesus, you're surrendering your identity as a sinner to him. Because when you accept Jesus, when you accept what he did on the cross, when you accept what he did through the resurrection, and you surrender your life to him, you're reborn. And there's nothing, there's nothing that can change that. You're reborn into new life. And to be reborn means to be made into something new. The old is gone. Are you new? Have you been made new? If you've confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're new. What does it mean, what does it look like to live in that newness? What does it mean to surrender to the newness of Christ in us? Not death and sin in us, Christ in us. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why do we still struggle? We're going to get into that next week. But you have been made new. If you have declared with your mouth, if you have perfect, believed in your heart. You've been made new. There is life there that you have not experienced before. I promise because I'm living it right now. Life beyond what I even thought was freedom. I've got freedom now. When I stopped seeing my identity as a sinner, when I stopped viewing myself as a sinner that God put up with. <laughs> you are a creation. You are a new creation in clear relation. There is nothing that stands between you and God when you are reborn. Absolutely nothing. Why don't you stand up to your feet? So I know that we don't always feel new and I know that that's not everybody's identity but if you want that identity this morning then we want to pray for you and we want that to be released on you this morning that your identity becomes free and reborn and new in Christ in a new way that you've never experienced dead to sin in a way that you didn't think was possible because of what the Holy Spirit is going to do within you So we're going to have prayer team people come up here. They can pray for you with that. They can pray for you for anything, so don't let that stop you. Maybe you've never been made new. Maybe you've never made that confession before. This morning is the morning. You can do that. You can come talk to them. You can stay after, grab one of us. We'd love to talk you through that process. We'd love to pray that process with you. Maybe you have done that, but you've seen yourself as that other identity. You've not understood the new nature of who you are. Maybe you want boldness to walk in that, in that faith, trusting who God says you are, not trusting who you feel like you are or who you say you are or who your actions say you are, but who God says you are. Maybe you want prayer for that. Maybe you need prayer for anything else. Um, This next song is Faithful to the End. God is forever faithful. He's never left, not even in the beginning, when the first part of his creation chose against him. Never, never. You can move at any time. Let's worship in spirit and in truth. Hey, this is Pastor Justin from Capitol Vineyard Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Thanks for listening to our weekly message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at capitalvineyard.org or on social media at, at @capvinyard. Thanks for listening, and God bless.